chance to win it right here. Special for Carr. Off the bounce. Big time. That car will drive. Are you kidding me? This is Niederreiter holding on to it. And he scores. Nino Niederreiter wins the series for the Minnesota Wild. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40. And John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. That strike three from Presley. And the Astros win it 3-1. to one, And they sweep the wild card series. Two games to none. Holding the Twins offense completely in check. With the sixth pick in the 2009 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Johnny Flynn from Syracuse University. Heartbreaking losses, questionable wins, and unquestionable fandom. This is your source for Minnesota sports talk. This is Land of 10,000 Tears with your host, Brett Lindbergh. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Lindbergh. I am your host of Land of 10,000 Tears. It is Thursday, May 27th. It's been a great week so far. I hope yours has been going well. I know it's been a little while since I did an episode. I've been wanting to. Got a lot to talk about. Just haven't found the time to do it. But now I've got the time. Got a lot to talk about. Vikings. Got some NBA playoffs. Got the Twins. Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Wild. Along with another one of my takes. That is Burt's takes. And we'll see what else we end up talking about. This episode is brought to you by Ted's Pizza Palace, located at 403 Main Street, East Menominee, Wisconsin. They have the best euros, the best pizza, the best sandwiches. They have the best fill-in-the-blank. They've got beer. Good enough, right? Taste the homemade difference that is Ted's Pizza Palace. All right, let's get started. We're talking about the Minnesota Vikings. They began OTAs earlier this week. Most of everybody that was important has reported to camp. That's exciting. So get to see a little bit of footage of the guys running around in their uniforms. No pads, obviously. But you can tell it's getting closer to football season. A couple of things, too. The Vikings are mentioned in some free agency rumors talking about potentially bringing in guys like Bashad Breland. I know we need depth at the corner position. Also talking about potentially bringing in D.D. Westbrook. I also think we could use a nice number three wide receiver, and I don't know who that's going to be. Maybe it's a D.D. Westbrook. I've also heard Geno Atkins potentially bring him in on a veteran minimum. He's with Cincinnati over the last couple of years, and Zimmer has some ties with Cincinnati, so maybe there's something there. I've also heard Everson Griffin's name thrown around, and I think after June 1st, we might actually see something like that pick up a little bit. Everson Griffin has voiced that he would come back to Minnesota. He loves the culture here. He used to play here, obviously, and I think he still has his home here. So I think I wouldn't mind having him back, especially under something like the veteran minimum, not to pay too much, but get him in here, let him prove that he can still play, and that bolsters the depth and the uh, overall ability of our defensive line. And, you know, since we're talking about the NFL There's some buzz going around, and it's surrounding Julio Jones, who recently mentioned that he will not be going back to Atlanta if it's up to him. So there's some trade rumors going around, and I think every single team in the league 
is probably at least exploring the idea of what it would take to get Julio Jones on their team. I think a lot of them are probably thinking, hey, I don't think it's worth giving up the assets of what it would take to get him here, but maybe you kick the tires on it. I don't know. And some Minnesota Vikings accounts on Twitter probably just pretty bored right now so they're saying hey let's throw together a trade package see what we could do to maybe bring julio jones in obviously i'd love to have him but i know what it would take to get him here would be a lot so in order to strengthen our offense and our wide receiver core you'd probably have to do it at the expense of the defense because we don't really have anything on offense that we could give up that wouldn't make much sense anyway so the guys over at score north radio throwing around the idea of Vikings making a move for him. And they mentioned a trade package suggested that would include Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr, and then potentially more. So the reason why it's those two names that are mentioned is because, one, Harrison Smith hasn't signed an extension yet. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we might see that, because I'd like to see Harrison Smith retire as a Viking. I still think he's playing at a high level. I think he would love to stay here, too. And then you talk about Anthony Barr. He did just sign an extension, but there's a clause in that extension that allows him to become a free agent after this season if he would like to. So technically, Anthony Barr might want out. We don't know. So I want to talk about why that will never happen. Well, A, because Atlanta doesn't want old defensive players in return for Julio Jones. And B, we would never, under Mike Zimmer, give up two of your focal point players on defense, especially after you've spent all of your money in the offseason to strengthen that defense. Why strengthen that defense just to trade away two pieces that were already part of that defense? It doesn't make much sense. And then C, when you look at how the offense has performed over the last couple of years, Kirk Cousins really hasn't even included two wide receivers most of the time. It's usually, hey, Thielen has a great game, or Jefferson has a great game, or back two years ago, Diggs has a great game, but it's never both. So try spreading the ball around to a third guy, because we don't do that, especially given that Dalvin Cook gets so many touches. Obviously, I would love to have him. I just don't see it happening, is what I'm saying. That's enough about the Minnesota Vikings' potential trade rumors for Julio Jones. It's just not going to happen, but... There are other rumors that seem slightly more realistic, and it's with the Green Bay Packers, and they could potentially make a run at Julio Jones. So if you're the Packers front office, you know that Aaron Rodgers hates you, but you want him here. You have to do something to signify to Aaron Rodgers that you're willing to repair the relationship, you're willing to finally listen to him and give him another star player on that offense. And for a couple of years now, the Packers have probably needed a number two wide receiver. I would think that next to Devontae Adams, Julio Jones would be honestly unstoppable. Both of them would, because they already are on their own teams. That would just be insane. And I'm wondering what it would take for the Packers to get Julio Jones. Would they have to give up defensive players? I'm not sure that they're willing to. They don't really have that much on offense to give up. They just locked up Aaron Jones. I don't think Atlanta's looking for a running back anyway. Maybe they trade Jordan Love. Maybe they give Matt Ryan a predecessor for when his days are over with Atlanta. Maybe they go defense. I don't think the Packers would want to give up defense, though, because 
Their defense was okay last year, but then you're going to thin it out even more. So I don't really see that happening. But the Packers could maybe trade picks. That's always an option. And Atlanta mentioned that they wanted to get a first-round pick out of it. Well, the Packers probably, if Aaron Rodgers plays next year, it's probably going to be like a top 26 pick. I mean, it's just how it works when Aaron Rodgers actually plays. So, I mean, it's not a great pick, but it is a first-round pick. And I think they're fine with their receiving core right now. I mean, Calvin Ridley was great last year, and Julio Jones is hurt a lot of the time. So, honestly, that's what's going on with Julio Jones and the Vikings and the Packers. And we're going to switch gears and talk about the NBA playoffs. And I've been watching a lot of games, watching the play-in games, the first-round games, you name it, the games. I've been watching them. So I want to talk about the play-in games first, and really only the Western play-in games, because the East was pretty much decided regardless. So we had the West play-in games. The first round games were Lakers-Warriors in the 7-8 matchup, and then you had Memphis versus the San Antonio Spurs. And that game was pretty boring. I mean, the Spurs are a shell of themselves. And Memphis has some exciting players like John Morant, and Memphis won. And I don't think that that was all that surprising. The Spurs don't have a whole lot of firepower, honestly. So what we saw was Memphis waiting for the loser of the Lakers-Warriors game. And the NBA is honestly kicking themselves for the results of the play-in games because the Lakers won their game. That meant that they had the 7 seed. So that put the Lakers up against the Phoenix Suns in the 7-2 matchup. What that meant for Golden State is that they would go up against Memphis Grizzlies. And the loser was out. So Golden State was the 8 seed before they lost to the Lakers. And if there never was a play-in tournament, you'd have the Lakers at the 7 seed, Golden State at the 8 seed, and Golden State would go up against the Utah Jazz. But that's not how it works. They decided to implement a play-in game. And so Golden State had to play Memphis. And Golden State lost. Yeah, they lost. They have arguably the MVP this season. I think Steph Curry's been playing the best basketball out of anybody on the planet this season. Just think about how mad the NBA probably is now that arguably the best player this year did not make the playoffs. And he would have made the playoffs if they didn't go in there and implement a play-in game. Steph Curry in the playoffs is just something that you have to have. It's like peanut butter and jelly. And I just can't imagine that Memphis is going to put up a better fight in a best-of-seven series over Golden State. I just think if you have Steph Curry, whoever they're playing is going to have a hell of a time trying to beat him four times. And even if they do, you could imagine the type of numbers he's going to put up. You know, I know there's probably some people who are out there that maybe don't agree with this take. Maybe they're thinking, hey, well, all you had to do is win one game. Right. That's exactly right. In the playoffs traditionally, though, you can lose one game. You can lose three if you need to. If you need to use all three games to lose in order to win in game seven, by all means, no worries there. But that wasn't the case. They're playing in a best of one Could they have perhaps overlooked the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I think that's what happened. And I guess we all have to live with that. By no means am I a huge Golden State Warriors fan or even a huge Steph Curry fan. I think he's fun to watch. I respect his game. But instead of 
sulking about Steph Curry and the Warriors not being in the playoffs, we got to look at reality and who's actually in the playoffs because the series has already started. And when those final seedings were solidified in the West, you have Utah versus Memphis in the one versus eight matchup. You have Phoenix versus the Lakers in the two versus seven matchup. You have the number three Nuggets versus the number six Portland Trailblazers. And then you have the four or five matchup Clippers Mavs. And we saw that last year and it was very exciting. So let's look at the East. In the first round, you have the Philadelphia 76ers versus the play-in game Washington Wizards. And I like the Wizards. The Wizards have a lot of firepower, but so does Philly and Philly can play defense. So then you have the Nets, they're the two seed, and the Boston Celtics, they're the seven seed. After that, you have the Milwaukee Bucks at three, you have the Miami Heat at six, and then you have the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. And let me tell you, that first round game, game one, was very exciting. I watched it, and I was honestly astounded. When you look at both of these rosters, it's like there was a two-team expansion draft and we all forgot who got selected. Literally, looking at the roster, you'll be like, wait, when did they sign him? Let's look at it. The New York Knicks. Okay, Julius Randle. He's been so good this year that you can't help but have noticed that. But they have Reggie Bullock. And I remember watching him at North Carolina. He was really good, but I didn't think he was going to be a good player in the NBA. And he's bounced around. So honestly... I wasn't super sure that he was on the team. Then they have R.J. Barrett, but they took him number three overall last year. But then they have Nerlens Noel. Yep, didn't know they had him. Alfred Payton, didn't know they had him. Derrick Rose. I knew that because Derrick Rose is somebody who is actually important to the NBA. Taj Gibson, didn't know that. Alec Burks, thought he was still with Utah. Emmanuel Quickly has been pretty good. So has Obi Toppin. Then they have Frank Nielakina, Kevin Knox, Theo Pinson. Like, yeah, what? When did these guys get on this team? Okay, you look at the Hawks. The Hawks are a little bit interesting. Trey Young, obviously he's there. Clint Capella could have still been on the Rockets. I wouldn't know. Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, he was supposed to be in Milwaukee. Then that trade got vetoed. Forgot he was there. DeAndre Hunter was drafted last year. John Collins is still there. That's nice to see. They have Danilo Gallinari. I thought he was still on the Nuggets back with Carmelo Anthony, to be honest. Kevin Herter knew that. Tony Snell, zero points, two rebounds, zero assists, 13 minutes. Lou Williams, I forgot they traded for him. And honestly, like, the list goes on and on. I had no idea. I swear, this looks like an expansion draft. So let's get into game one of that series. It was back at the Mecca, the Madison Square Garden, and they literally let 19,000 people in because the Knicks are back, baby. The Knicks are so back that they are playing well enough to get their hearts broken in the final minutes. Like, isn't that just a great feeling as an NBA franchise that's just been terrible year after year after year? It's kind of like the Vikings. Some seasons you're really bad, then they follow it up with a good season, then you get your heart broken in the playoffs. That's like what happens with the Knicks. The Knicks looked so good in the second quarter of this game, they went on like a 20-2 run, and I swear they were going to run out the building with it. I thought Knicks fans were going to be streaking, just drunk, having a great time. No, not the case, because they blew it, and Trey Young scored at the buzzer to win the game. 
Honestly, a heartbreaker for Knicks fans, for Knicks players, but hey, that's why it's best of seven. Losing that game doesn't matter because they got him back the next night. Apparently a fan spit on Trey Young too, which is hilarious. Trey Young needs a haircut. He's been talking all that you-know-what, and I don't really like it. I respect his game, but I don't really like him. So if you were wondering, I am 100% New York Knicks in this series. So that makes the series 1-1 to going back to Atlanta. And now let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Because they won game one. They shot like 5 of 30 from 3. I'm not accurate as far as statistics. But percentage-wise, I think whatever they shot and whatever 5 divided by 30 is, it's probably pretty accurate. And they still won. Chris Middleton hit a buzzer beater. That was sick. It was against Miami, so they want revenge. They even came out and said it. We wanted Miami in the playoffs so they could right their wrongs from last season. And then in game two, Milwaukee came out and beat them by 34 points. So Milwaukee's up 2-0. They play pretty much right now. Game's supposed to start at 6.30. I just checked. It hasn't started yet. But I think Milwaukee's going to run away with that series. And that's pretty much all I really care about the NBA right now. I'll give you the updates on the series right now. Memphis won game one against the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell didn't play, but then he did play in game two, and they won pretty handily, 141-129. The Wizards have lost both games, so Philly's up 2-0. Obviously, Milwaukee is up 2-0. The Lakers lost game one to the Suns, but then they won game two, so it's 1-1. We also have a 1-1 series for the Nuggets and Blazers. And then you look at the Mavs and the Clippers. The Mavs have won both of those games, and it's pretty awesome because I don't love the Clippers. And then you look at the Nets and Boston series. Boston sucks, especially because Jalen Brown's out, but they just suck anyway. And they're playing the Nets, and the Nets are just not fair. So they're just going to get absolutely destroyed, and they are. So that's what's happening. Ooh. Update on the Bucks. Bucks are up 8-4, actually now 10-4, first quarter. Sorry to interrupt this portion of the show, but my friends with the North Coast Craftsmen want to know how you're watching your next game. Are you pulling your favorite bottle off the shelf and relaxing for the afternoon or hosting guys night? However you take in your sports, make sure you join the North Coast and let them craft your next game day experience. These guys will build you your dream bar for that man cave you've been talking to your wife about, hook you up with a summer grilling cooler for tailgating or craft an awesome bottle opener or whiskey rack. They even do custom wood-burning logos for your favorite team. Be sure to check out their Facebook and YouTube pages to find out how you can join another winning team and become a North Coaster today. Think about it. The country is getting a little bit healthier. We might be allowed to start tailgating. Why would you go to a tailgate unprepared? Order your summer grilling coolers. Put a Brewers logo on it, a Twins logo, a Vikings, Packers, maybe even a Bears logo. I don't even care. Put a logo on it. Do it. Just do it. North Coast Craftsman. It's now time to transition into some baseball talk, and we're talking Minnesota Twins. Last time we talked about the Twins, I mentioned how bad they are. And they're still bad, but they're not as bad as they were before. Not that it really matters. They got their first series win in over a month. They beat Cleveland two out of three. That's good. Always got to win your divisional games, and that helps you close the gap on all of those other divisional teams and maybe push for the playoffs. 
Yeah, pump the brakes a little bit. Not talking playoffs. Hypothetically, though. So the Twins got a win in that series finale against Cleveland. It was huge because the Twins were up 5-3 to three in that game, and then the Twins' bullpen did what the bullpen does. Gave up two more runs. They go to extras. And what's happened? Pretty much every single time the Twins go to extra innings, chalk it up as an L. The previous eight games where they went to extras, the Twins lost. Sometimes they would score runs. Sometimes they wouldn't. But one thing remains the same. They always gave up runs. So going into this extra inning stretch, we had no idea what was going to happen. Just kidding. We thought there's a really good chance we would lose. But you start with a guy on second, and then our leadoff hitter gets walked, and then Big Daddy Kyle sprinkle a little garlic on it, comes up, goes absolutely mashed potatoes on that ball, bombs it out of the park. They win 8-5 and get their first series win in over a month. And then going forward, they were scheduled to play arguably the worst team in baseball for probably the last 10 years, the Baltimore Orioles. And the Twins and the Orioles had the same record going into the first game of that series. So it was truly compelling television, like better than The Bachelor probably. So going into this series, we were still wondering when Buxton was going to come back. And basically, the Twins just decide at any given day, they will throw out any number of AAA players out on the field. We see guys like Rob Refsnyder, Ben Rortvit. You see Trevor Larnick, Alex Kirilov, Brent Rooker was out there at one time. Just a lot of minor league guys. You know... The thing is, I actually kind of enjoy when those guys get called up because, A, it gives any guys that really need a rest a chance to get a rest. But it also says, hey, we will trade you because we're totally comfortable playing this guy. I think we've got some very promising players. I know Alex Kirilov was hurt for a little while, so he went down to AAA and played in some rehab games, and he literally was hitting the cover off the ball. I think he had like three homers in four games. And then Trevor Larnick up here facing a pretty good Baltimore Orioles pitcher hits one 461 feet to dead center into the restaurant. That ball is probably the only ball that's ever been hit there before. So that's something to be excited about. And he literally didn't even crack a smile going around the base. It's like, you weren't even impressed with yourself? Like, it's okay if you are. I think Nelson Cruz even smiles when he hits a ball that far. Jim Tomey used to. Yes, maybe you're just a rookie. You kind of just got to keep a straight face. But I'm not saying taunt the pitcher or anything. I'm just saying, hey, crack a little smirk, a little smile. I don't know. Feel good about it. You hit the ball out of the ballpark. Just saying. So, yeah, the Twins opened up a series against Baltimore Monday, won the first game 8-3, to won the second game 7-4, to won the third game 3-2, to and then they got off today. So they don't play today. They play tomorrow against Kansas City. Uh, Randy Dobnak, with a 1-3 and record and a 5.75 ERA, is going to go up there and give them the business. Calling it. Just calling it. Let's go back to that 8-3 win that the Twins had. So in that game, the Twins were down 3-2, to and it was the 8th inning. Well, there was a rain delay right before the 8th inning. I think it lasted about 30 minutes, something like that. I was here, sitting out, watching TV. It didn't seem like the weather was all that bad. And the stadium's like 
14 blocks away. I don't know what the delay was all about. But the Twins decided to rally, and they scored eight runs in that inning to go up 8-3. to That's timely hitting if you ask me, because I'm an expert on baseball, obviously. So let's look at the standings. The Twins are on like a five-game win streak. And when I say like a five-game win streak, I mean they are. No, just kidding. They're on a four-game win streak, but they've won five out of their last six. So it's not like I was that wrong. Let's look at the standings. The Twins have actually crawled out of the basement of the AL Central. The Detroit Tigers have generously claimed that spot. So let's look at the standings. You have the Chicago White Sox, 28 and 20. They're in first. Cleveland, 27 and 21. The Royals are 23 and 25. Twins, right there, 20-29. Tigers are 19 and 31. So the Twins winning two out of three against Cleveland helped their cause. Like I said, it makes sense. Had they not, Cleveland would probably be in first place. And to think about it, the Twins are only eight and a half games back of Chicago. Why is that? Well, probably because they've lost like five out of six against Chicago. Just think about it. You split all those games, you're actually somewhat in contention for this first place run. Honestly, it's not out of the question, but they got to play so much better. Like when they go up against Chicago... We look like a triple-A squad or maybe even like a high school squad. Not a triple-A squad. Triple-A squads are good. High school squads, bad. Yeah, we look like a high school squad. So that's enough about the Minnesota Twins. I want to take the time to get into Bert's take. Today's take is on microbreweries. I enjoy a good brewery here and there. Don't get me wrong. I sometimes have issues with the beer selections, though. Here's the thing. If you go to a brewery, hypothetically, let's say there are 20 beers on their list, a lot of the time, they are the majority IPAs. And I like IPAs. I think IPAs are a little overrated, but I do like them. But why do you have, hypothetically, 16 out of 20? I know for a fact there is a brewery in Eau Claire that has Literally every single beer is an IPA besides one, and I think it's a cider. So so why? I gotta ask why. What is it about IPAs? Why can't a brewery have, you know, a lager, an amber, have a pilsner, have a seltzer, I don't care, whatever you want, and have a couple of IPAs, have a stout. Why does it have to be all IPAs? I don't get it. And then there's another thing. Have you ever gone to a brewery And then after the fact, you were like, wow, I really wish we hadn't chose that one. I like to compare microbreweries to your good old-fashioned YMCA pickup basketball game. So depending on where you go, you may be able to go in and watch some great players, watch some good quality basketball. You might get surprised. You might see a guy hammer a dunk. You might see a guy get hot, make like 12 threes in a row, you might actually enjoy it. Maybe you play. Maybe you have a great time. Maybe you go and it's like watching everybody who's shooting with the wrong hand and dribbling with their feet. Let's say you had to pay to get in. Like, if you're not a YMCA member, 
you have to pay to get in. If you remember, you pay monthly anyway. So let's say you pay to get in. You end up playing some absolute awful basketball players, and you feel terrible. You're not hitting any shots, and you're like, wow, I paid for this. That was terrible. Sometimes you go, and you're like, okay, these guys have great basketball IQ. They're great athletes. They're good teammates. They don't shoot all the time. They pass. You have a good time. It's a mixed bag, honestly. I guess the point I'm getting at is I don't want to pay to go watch some rec basketball at the YMCA. Most breweries that I go to, they seem like they know what they're doing. I have been to one or two where it's like, why do you think that the beer that you make is good? Because it's not. I guess what I'm getting at is that I feel like most people who either own a brewery or work at one and understand the ins and outs of it are probably pretty passionate about beer. That's fine. That's great. I'm passionate about beer. I don't think I can make it. I'm passionate about basketball or football or baseball. I can't play in the NBA. I can't even play on our local town ball team. Literally, my arm is no good and I can't even hit a baseball. So yeah, like, I don't get it. I think it's very bold to open up a brewery and just be like, yeah, we make good beer. But you might not know if it's actually good or not. I don't know. I'm just talking in circles, confusing myself. Let's talk about some sports. The NHL playoffs are going right now, and some series have already wrapped up, which is very exciting. Let's talk about them. We had an awesome series between two Florida teams, Tampa and the Florida Panthers. Florida actually got the higher seed. They had home ice. Tampa, the defending champs. They got Nikita Kucherov back, who's arguably top two, top three player in the league. And Tampa actually went down to Sunrise, which is technically Miami, and kind of just beat the brakes off the Panthers. So they took two. But then the Panthers came back, won another, and they won another. And then Tampa decided they were going to win game five and then close out game six. So Tampa last night won the series, so they are waiting for the winner of the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Nashville Predators. Hurricanes have a 3-2 lead in that series. They're playing Game 6 tonight at 8.30 p.m. Another series that recently wrapped up was the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. And I'm a big Winnipeg Jets guy. But this is a tall task for the Jets at the time, obviously, because that series is over now. But at the time, you're thinking, hey, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Those two guys have won the MVP the last two seasons. And Winnipeg lost seven out of the nine meetings between the two teams during the regular season. So it's like, hey, probably buckle down and play some playoff hockey. Well, they did. Jets came out game one and kind of just whooped them four to one. My guy Tucker Poolman got a goal. Shout out Tucker. We'll get you on the show sometime. That was awesome. He hadn't scored a goal in a year. He didn't score one goal this season. So that was sick. Good time to get your first goal. They won that game 4-1, to setting the tone, just absolutely dominating. And then game two. It was Friday, May 21st. That game goes to overtime. Tucker gets an assist on that one for the game winner, 1-0. Only one goal scored. That was pretty crazy. Game three... 
also goes to overtime, but this was a high-scoring game. The final score is 5-4 Jets. You saw some awesome hockey in that one. And then the Jets close out the series, sweep them 4-0, forced overtime late in the third, and that game ended up going three overtimes. It took us to the wee hours of the night, and the Jets got it done. So it's honestly kind of a shocker to the world of hockey because not that many people thought that McDavid and Dreisaitl would be home packing after the first four games of that series. You know, Winnipeg's a good team. They await the winner of Montreal and Toronto. Game five is currently being played right now. Toronto is down 3-1. to one. More importantly, Montreal has a 3-1 lead in the series. So Montreal is looking to do the gentleman sweep. They're going to bring out the brooms, but with their mustaches curled, and then just politely sweep them out of the door. Toronto was supposed to be really good this year. So honestly, the two teams that were projected to win in the Canadian division in the first round did not do it. We're going to see Winnipeg versus Montreal. That's exciting. Go Winnipeg. Not sure when that game's going to be because you got to wait for the first round games to conclude. So let's look at some other divisions. We saw the Boston Bruins take care of the Washington Capitals. We saw the Colorado Avalanche absolutely dismantle the St. Louis Blues. And we also saw the New York Islanders beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. So all of those series have concluded. There is one series after tonight's games that will not be concluded. That is Minnesota versus the Golden Knights. How could we possibly be where we are right now? We won game one. That was the last time I did an episode. What happened in game two? Well, it was still in Vegas, and the Wild came out knowing that they had won game one, and they didn't really bring their A game. Here's the thing. That's not that big of a problem because you went and got one out of two. Vegas could have easily just taken two out of two, and now you're back against the wall, back at home at the X. But that's not what happened. The Wild obviously got the win in game one, lost game two. It's 1-1. Back in Minnesota, great. It's as if it's 0-0 right now. So when you look at what happened in game three, The Wild appeared to be very happy that they had won a game in Vegas and now had a chance to take the series lead on their home ice. They came out absolutely flying. They scored two goals in the first period. Ryan Hartman assisted by Kirill Kaprizov and Jonas Brodin. Then Joel Erickson X scored a goal off of an assist from Marcus Foligno and Matt Dumba. And then after that, the Wild just kind of hung it up. They gave up five goals. The last one was an empty netter. It was 4-2 in the third period. The Wild were getting severely outshot. They were not pressing the puck. They were honestly just confused. They didn't have any drive out there. They just didn't look good. So Vegas took that game. And the Wild had a chance to take the lead in the series. They took the lead in the first period, and then they gave it right back. So That was not great, but hey, even then, you're only down 2-1. That's not the worst thing that could happen. So then you go to game four. That's also in Minnesota. You're on your home ice. You got a chance to even the series. A lot of the experts were picking this to go six or seven games anyway. So you win a couple of games. You lose one, you win one, you lose one, you win one. Like I said, you could lose three, 
and then still win the series. You just can't lose four, so don't lose four. Well, the Wild in Game 4 absolutely sucked. They were so bad. They got beat 4-0. to zero. There was a goal in the first period by Vegas, and then Minnesota scored a goal in the first, but it got reversed off of a call based on a goalie interference by Marcus Foligno. So that was important. You had to like bookmark that because yesterday there was a play just like that. Foligno got called for it. He wasn't even in the crease. You could see that there's space between him and Marc-Andre Fleury, but the Vegas Knights challenged it, won the challenge, goal was taken off the board, suck all of the life out of the stadium, and then Vegas went on to just roll. So now you look at the playoff series and Vegas is up 3-1. to one. Not great. The Wild, though, have come back from a 3-1 deficit and won twice. They've done it twice. Only 29 teams in the history of the league have done it before, and the Wild have done it twice. And they did it in the same season. Also, since Vegas' existence as a franchise, they have been pretty bad in closeout games. They are 2-8 and eight as of now in closeout games. So now we're talking about Game 5. Game 5 was really interesting. We saw a total of four goals scored in the first period. Vegas got the first one, though. Mark Stone assisted by Alex Tuck and Nick Holden. And when Vegas scores first, they are so good. They have won so many games this season just because they scored first. But we got right back on the board. Dala Dala Bill Yal, Kirill Kaprizov gets his first playoff goal assisted by his buddy Matt Zuccarello, tied it 1-1. to And then right after that, the kid that had been benched pretty much the rest of the regular season, the first couple of games in the playoffs, actually gets a shot. Zach Parisi. He was benched. They said, hey, this is a closeout game. We might lose. This is your chance to wear that wild jersey one more time. And he made the best of it. Gets a goal, assisted by Jonas Brodin and Matt Dumba. And then they got another one, Jordan Greenway, assisted by Kalen Addison. So they were applying the pressure on Marc-Andre Fleury in the first period of that game. So then we go to the second period, Wild having the lead 3-1, to one, and the Wild give up a power play goal to Alec Martinez, assisted by Alex Petrangelo and Chandler Stevenson, makes it 3-2, and really applies the pressure to Minnesota. Because when you have that two-goal lead, I know that a two-goal lead is the worst lead in hockey, but there's at least a little bit of a buffer. When they score that second goal, that means it's a one-goal lead. I know, I sound really smart because I'm doing math. 3-2 going into the third period and the Wild held them off and had an empty netter to make it 4-2. to That was Nico Sturm. So the Wild win game five. They're not done yet and they've won two games in Vegas and deserve an opportunity to hold home ice and force a game seven. This series was so weird because you saw the road team win game one home team won game two but you saw the road team win three and four you saw the road team win game five so out of the first five games four games were won by road teams that doesn't say a whole lot about having home ice well in last night's game having home ice made a huge difference for the wild they didn't get any goals in the first period didn't get any in the second period but neither did the knights so it didn't really matter in the third period the Wild actually got after him. We saw goals from Ryan Hartman. That was assisted by Kevin Fiala and Zach Parise. But not too long after that, Vegas applied the pressure, scored a goal. They screened our goalie, and 
ran one up past the net, and honestly, Cam Talbot didn't see it at all. Well, the refs talked about it, and the call on the ice was no goal due to goalie interference by Alex Tuck because he was in the crease. That is why I mentioned what happened with Marcus Foligno before. They showed that replay. Marcus Foligno had space between him and Marc-Andre Fleury, and they called it. So what I saw from this one is that Alex Tuck was actually in the crease, whereas Marcus Foligno was barely in it. You have to reverse that call. You can't call that a goal when he's breaking the rule even worse. So ultimately, they called it off, and that was huge. It was a huge momentum killer. It would have went one-to-one at that point. But right after that, the Wild went down and got another goal. Kevin Fiala, assisted by Jared Spurgeon and Matt Zuccarello, making it 2-0. to zero. And that was still not enough. Honestly, I was very scared up until I saw a score with five minutes to go. Nick Bugstead gets a goal, assisted by Nico Sturm and Jared Spurgeon. Sturm had a breakaway, dropped one off for Bugstead. It was just a greasy goal. I love it. And they're honestly flustering uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. They're even talking about potentially starting Robin Leonard in Game 7 because Fleury has given up a couple of goals over the last two. But here's the thing. I wouldn't do that. It's not like it's really Marc-Andre Fleury's fault. Vegas didn't score any goals in that game. They scored two in the game before that. That's two goals in two games. You're probably not going to win many hockey games when you're averaging one goal a game. So yeah, Fleury ended up giving up goals, but it seems like on the same nights where he gives a couple up, the offense just goes silent. I mean, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't take him out. He's a Hall of Famer. I would love to see Robin Leonard in the net, but he's not going to be in the net. So I guess what I'm saying is the Wild won, and they forced Game 7. So we get to hear the two best words in all of sports, Game 7. I can't wait. It's tomorrow night. The thing about a Game 7 is it's knotted up. It doesn't matter how you got there. You can treat it like winner take all because that's what it is. I know the Wild were down 3-1, but they got to Game 7. So they can just play their hearts out, leave it all out there. I'm going to be upset if they lose, but I'm way happier that they got to Game 7 rather than if they had lost Game 6. That is all I've got for the episode today. I will do another one later on this week, this weekend, I believe, Sunday or maybe Monday. Memorial Day weekend is upon us. So go make it a good one. Go have a good time with your friends, your family, whoever you're going to hang out with. Maybe have a beer or two. I might. Just might. Also, I'm going skydiving on Saturday. This episode was brought to you by Skydive Twin Cities. I will see you there on Saturday. I'm jumping two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Who knows? But I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. Can't wait to feel the wind through my helmet. We'll catch you in the next episode.